I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's Let's go. This meeting is being recorded. Yes, ma'am. Good morning slash afternoon. You and Mahalia will be very proud of me because I spent a couple hours looking at YouTube videos mm-hmm. and you can find anything on YouTube. You can learn anything on YouTube. Absolutely. So I, I looked up natural styles for 3C, 4A hair. Very specific. Very specific because my son, Isaiah, has very soft hair. Zach's hair is, is more 4C, more coarse and predictable. Mm-hmm. But that soft hair is very hard to figure out things to do. So. I learned through a tutorial how to do finger coils. Ooh, okay. Baby, (laughs) my son went to the first day of school today to start his senior year with those finger coils. And when I say they were all the way right, (laughs) I am so proud of myself. I'm going to need a photo. I did exactly what this woman told me to do. Mm. I moisturized it. She said, just use some olive oil out your kitchen. I Mm. used some olive oil. I had my little gel. I sectioned it. And I used my fingers. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. So yeah. Me and Mahila spent a lot of time on YouTube a couple of years ago. So <laughs> I hear you. Oh yeah. So that was that was really good. That was yeah. good. So um, what you been up to? What is new? So this last Saturday, I got invited by Charlie Barron, who's a human doctor podcast fan and works with the Nocturnist. He invited me to a rehearsal for a solo performance by this gentleman named Kenny Yu. It's still a a work in progress. I can't give away all the details, but it was essentially about a 40-minute act about his life and his experience as an Asian-American man growing up in the Bay Area. And I was just floored. You know, it made me think about things in a completely different way, which is what is so beautiful about the arts and why we need them in our lives. So huge shout out to Charlie and to Kenny. I cannot wait till this performance is out. I love that. That sounds mm-hmm. amazing. So Charlie is who connected you to Kenny? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's dope. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Well, cool. Do you get to do anything or you just got to be a front row spectator? Yeah. I just got to be in a small group of spectators. They were looking for feedback on the show. And I was like, mm-hmm. I am the most non-theater person in the world. <laughs> but, you know, I was with a group of diverse individuals and just taking it in as a, a fellow human being and a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It was really cool just to be immersed in that world that was non-medical, but deeply human. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Um, so as you know, but maybe our, our listeners don't know, part of the reason why we were not with you last week was because it was a big week. We had our homegoing celebration for my father, Mr. William Draper, Mm -hmm. um, in Los Angeles and our normal time that we record, I was just here, there, everywhere trying to do too much. And thanks to my dear sister, Ashley, who recognizes Mm -hmm. the importance of wellness she put her foot down and was like, no, what we're going to do is have a bye week Exactly. And I, and I do appreciate you for that. So my father's homegoing was awesome. It mm-hmm. was 
filled with love. You know, there were obviously some parts that, you know, we were choked up a little bit, but it was literally people from every slice of our lives. I mean, from our kindergarten teacher to members of the school board, because my dad had been on a school board for Mm. years to fraternity brothers from Tuskegee to people who lived on our block growing up. My father used to lead a little league program called Sportsman's Little League. And all these kids who we played at Sportsman's Little League who are now just full grown men wow. and, and women, they were there, people that my dad tutored, cousins. It was just really, really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I could see the joy in your face. You yeah, know? it was, it was, it was really good. And I got to eulogize my dad and, um, Y'all know as much as I cry, you would have thought I would have been crying from the start to the end of it. I didn't cry one time when I was Mm. talking about him. I broke the eulogy into 10 things that my father really cared about Mm -hmm. that now we care about too. So for everything, there was just like some little funny anecdote about him and it was good. It was positive. Man, it's a a true celebration of life. Yeah, it was. It was a Definitely a true celebration. And like, as a fun fact, my father, one of the things that if you wanted to get his blood pressure all the way up, <laughs> get him 38 hot, talk longer than you're supposed to talk. <laughs> so we would be at people's funeral services or, or somebody would be giving a speech at a wedding. My daddy would be the one to go over there and, and, and sit you down if you're <laughs> talking too long. It was just, and it would be very uncomfortable sometimes. Like oftentimes if you got to give comments, he would hold the mic. Wow. Just to make sure. Take it away. So my beloved brother, who is my father's namesake, he was supposed to give a few remarks. And my brother, I mean, he was like, oh, let me tell you what y'all not going to do is tell me how long I can say what I need to say (laughs) about my father as his only son. When I say my father, I thought my father was going to come down from the heavens <laughs> and put my brother in a headlock. <laughs> he went over his allotted time. It was beautiful. though. Oh, so we, we, we allowed him that little indulgence, but Lord have mercy. Man, your father and I would be kindred spirits in that regard. I love it. Yeah. Shout out to Mr. Draper. <laughs> Shout out to Mr. Draper. And anybody who talking too long, don't. It's <laughs> an honor to my dad. Don't be talking too long. <laughs> Well, there is one person on this call who we know that can talk as long as she wants and we will all be filled and nourished Uh, by it. Who is that? (laughs) (laughs) The one and only Dr. Manning is bringing us back from the spy week with an incredible story. Uh, Yeah. So I I am excited. (laughs) No, I know for sure. Uh, (laughs) Tell us, sis, what's the what? The what today, which I came up with, right before you hit record, yep. is exposure. Oh, man, you be coming up with some good ones on the fly. I know, girl. That's that um, being in your 50s, you know, <laughs> when you get that AARP card, you suddenly expand your vocabulary. Wow. Child. Lots to look forward to. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So the word is exposure. And uh, let me ask you, when you hear the word exposure, what's the first thing that comes to mind? <laughs> Honestly, the first thing that came to my mind was like a camera going off. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to be like somebody flashing. Flash, somebody. Yeah, exactly. You would think that. But no, it's like, oh, yeah, like exposure, <laughs> expose film. 
So um, I, I think it's actually really fitting some of the things we just talked about, because when you went to Kenny's show, you got exposed to something that you had not been exposed to before. And every time we get exposed to something new, it leaves us changed. Yes. Right. Exactly. Um, forever changed or just different afterwards, which is a beautiful thing about learning and exposure. This story goes back, probably been about four years. It was pre-pandemic, but not that far before the pandemic. I was on Grady Wards and I was with my team and uh, I had been on, I think for two full weeks. And toward the end of our two weeks, there was a patient who, who had passed away in hospice, who had cared for, for probably about 10 of the days Mm -hmm. that I was on service. She was an elder and had her share of health problems, which included some type of a malignancy. We got to know the family really well. And in particular, there was a medical student on my team. Lily was lovely. Um, She was so good to the family. She was so attentive. She was always there, always making phone calls and grew very, very close to the family. When our patient passed away, the family reached out to Lily and told her, And Lily came to me and she was, you know, tearful and so moved and so glad that it was peaceful. But then she said, Dr. Manning, um, the family asked if, if I would come to the funeral, they actually asked if you and I would come to the funeral. And, um, I, I, I don't know what to do with that information. Like, I don't know that that's appropriate. And I said, well, first of all, it's an honor when a family asks you to go to a funeral because mm-hmm. people don't ask doctors to go to funerals unless there was something meaningful there. And the fact that they called you a medical student and said to come to this funeral, you know, I, I think you should feel honored. She said, well, what do you do when you get invited to a funeral? I said, if I can go, I go. Mm-hmm. That's what I do, because that doesn't happen to me every time somebody passes. So I looked at her and I said, do you want to go? And she was like. I, I, I think so. I said, you want me to go with you? She said, that, that would really be good. Now, I will add as a sidebar, I had racial concordance with this family, racial and cultural concordance, because mm-hmm. this was a Black American family in the South. My family is from the South. And so culturally, we aligned a lot. Lily did not have cultural concordance or racial concordance with the family. Uh, she's a Chinese American and just sort of wanted to respect the family. She's like, I want to do what's respectful. And I was like, going is respectful. So we make a plan that Saturday to meet up at this church, which is off of Bankhead Highway in Atlanta, like in straight up ATL, the most ATL of ATL you can get. <laughs> it's yeah. like, um, for, for reference, y'all, TI is from off of Bankhead. If you, if you, somebody call you shoddy in Atlanta, they might be up in Bankhead anyway. <laughs> so um, we pull up, there are cars everywhere. Like the whole street is full and Lily's already in the vestibule of the church. Mm -hmm. I park and come in and I say, you know, wait for me, I walk in with you. So, you know, we go in and we kind of find a a seat on a pew. It was very clear right away that she had never been to anything like this before. Mm. And as a point of reference, this was not a funeral. This was a homegoing celebration. And for Black Americans, a homegoing celebration is not a funeral. It is a celebration of life, especially for people who um, follow Christian faith. They believe that God entrusted you to this person on earth for a period of time. And now the person is returning home. And that's something to celebrate. And I was explaining that to Lily because I was making this a teachable moment. I was like, this is probably you're going to see things that are sad, but also that seem like very uplifting at the same Mm -hmm. time. And she was like, okay. So the processional starts, right? 
And people start walking in. She's like, who are all those ladies in the white? I said, okay, those are the church mothers. What are the church mothers? I said, they just the elders in the church and they the mothers. <laughs> what do the mothers do? I said, they just be the mothers. I don't know. <laughs> the mothers just be, they lay hands on you. They're the mothers. Right. So then somebody else comes walking. She's like, no, who's that? I was like, okay, those are the clergy. All those people clergy. I said, like, yeah, it's like a lot of different pastors in the church, probably pastors that this person was exposed to. They are going to sit on the stage. She's like, okay, okay. Then she's like, who was that? And I was like, that's the family. Okay, okay. So the family is all seated together toward the front and the pastor gets up, says a few words of welcome, says a prayer. And then the choir starts to sing low and slow and girl, they start singing. I shall wear a crown Mm. when it's all over. And it's really low and slow and beautiful. And then you see everybody's head turned to the back. And here comes this man walking up through the center aisle, holding this red velvet pillow with Mm. a crown on it. Wow. And he walks over to the family and he presents this pillow to the family, her, her children who stand, take the pillow and go over to her open casket and affix the crown to her head. Now, this is the point where, you know, your people. So they start falling out and Mm -hmm. laying all (laughs) over the casket Mm -hmm. and crying and all this stuff. But the whole choir is just like blowing. They are like singing the whole, I'm going to put on my robe and tell the story how I made it over. It was so beautiful. And she was just like, you could just see her taking this all in, right? And there was a point where right before they got ready to close the casket, they allowed people to process down and see the body, mm-hmm. which now has a crown. And she says, well, should I do? Should I, should I go down and see the body? I said, well, do you want to go see the body? You know, everybody doesn't have to go see the body. Some people don't like to see a body in an open casket. She said, is it respectful? And I said, the fact that you are here and you're a medical student on a Saturday, that's already respectful. She's like, I think I, I want to go down and see mm-hmm. her. So we walked down together and it was, it was, you could tell she had never seen a person in an open casket. Wow. So I'm just holding her hand and she's looking and just taking it in. We go back and take our seats. The service goes on and people say things and, you know, it's a pastor falling asleep on the stage. (laughs) One of the mothers gets the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. All of it, you know, was perfect. And, you know, people gave a few words that were sad. People were crying. They showed a video, all of that stuff. Yeah. But then came the end of the service. And at the end of the service, spontaneously, which is one of the things I just love about black people. Cause we just, you don't <laughs> ever know what to expect out of us. Mm-hmm. And what you should expect is that you don't know what to expect. <laughs> but all of a sudden this guy jumps out of the band and he has a sax and he starts to play this song. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. Mm. And It is a song that is an old song. And if you have been around black churches, you might know the words. So it's very upbeat, right? And it was so perfect because the words of the song, they really fit being a Grady doctor, which this student for that month is a Grady doctor, right? So the words go, tragedies are commonplace, all types of diseases. People are slipping away. Economy's down. People can't get enough pay. But as for me, all I can say is thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. Mm. People are on their feet and they're like, it could have been me. Thank mm. you. Outdoors. Thank you. With no food and no clothes. All left alone without a friend. 
or just another number with a tragic end. But you didn't see fit to let none of these things be. Girl, whole whole <laughs> congregation. Everybody knows the words. They point at each other every day by your power. You keep on keeping me. People are smiling. They're crying. They're clapping. And then I look over at Lily. And she's weeping. She, she's amazed that everybody knows the words. And it is just so light. It is so celebratory and so beautiful and so black. Just like the blackest, <laughs> the blackest, most beautiful slice of our culture that she was in the middle of. And I couldn't have taught her that in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have taught her that in a DEI lecture, an implicit bias talk. None of that. You had to be there. And when it ended, all of that was over. After the benediction, the family is processing out. And then one of the daughters sees Lily. And they're like, it's Lily. And the mm -hmm. whole family comes and they envelop her in this mm -hmm. big family hug. And they are just thanking her for all she did for their mother and for all of the care she gave. And, you know, I stood there thinking to myself, I was like, she's forever changed. Yes. She will never, ever, ever be the same. And look, my thing is diversity is a good thing for a lot of reasons, right? It is. But I am so glad that I was her attending and that I was with her and that she didn't experience that by herself. Yeah. She got to be there and she got to ask questions in a psychologically safe way, but that also she got to see an aspect of life for Black Americans that is not slow singing and flower bringing and protests and the mm -hmm. news and somebody on TV with a mugshot. And when we were walking out, she like, she was still weepy. She couldn't mm -hmm. stop crying. She's like, I've never been to a funeral like that before. I said, that mm -hmm. wasn't a funeral. I said, baby, you just went to a home going celebration. Yeah. That's what you just did. And to, to God be the glory for that. Mm. <laughs> That's one of my favorite experiences as an attending physician. And, and it didn't even occur at Grady. Uh, <laughs> I was like there in the church with you, that whole story. I was like, yes, man. To your point, this is actually something I was thinking about this weekend after I left the show where I was spent 40 minutes kind of immersed in Kenny's artistic expression of these different aspects of his life and recognizing like this is what diversity awareness like should be you know i can look at the stories the news the, the snippets the statistics you know just to be again like exposed to that in a very deep visceral way it hits harder than anything mm. that any kind of dei training could do and i walked away thinking very differently about things and so I can just imagine for that medical student to experience that. And particularly, you know, these these aspects of, of Black culture that are so essential to our being. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of my family's home goings and just, you know, what that has meant like afterwards. It's it's like one of the few times where you genuinely hold space for both sadness and euphoria in a yep. sense. Yep. Yep. It's a really beautiful thing. There, there are things I'm realizing that we keep to ourselves. We really, really keep to ourselves. I mean, they're, they're just like stories we tell, experiences we have, humor that we have that we just kind of hold close to the chest. Mm -hmm. But then when people misunderstand us, it's often because we haven't allowed anybody the chance to see what we see. I remember 
a few years ago, I wrote this piece that I published in JAMA and it was called The Nod. Yeah. And it was about me walking through the hospital or in any environment where it's predominantly non-Black and I see a Black person, we give an acknowledgement to each other. And like, not the what's up nod, but like the down nod, like I see you. And I remember people's responses to that. And I remember this one woman wrote me and was like, gosh, you know, I was really conflicted about you telling people about the nod. That's, that's, that's ours. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we do that because you know, that that's the only way somebody is going to feel seen. Yes. You, that, that's why we do it. It's why we do it without being taught. <laughs> like, I see you. Hey, black person over there in the PTA meeting at this elite school that don't have no black people. I see you over there. Mm -hmm. But what if we could all feel like we belong, then you really wouldn't have a need to make sure a person feels seen in that tangible, concrete way all the time. Because mm -hmm. I ain't nobody ever told me to nod at nobody. <laughs> but there we go. So exactly. Yeah, so shout out to Lily, not only for her willingness um, to step into a space that clearly culturally was not comfortable for her, mm -hmm. but especially shout out to the act of exposure. Yes. Because when we expose people to things or when we get exposed to new things, we're just better for it. We're better doctors for it. I'm just imagining what the world and what society might look like if there were more, you know, not only willingness on the part of individuals to be exposed and immersed into a culture and an environment that's wildly different from what they know, but also a willingness on the other side to invite people in. Yeah. And love is love and joy is joy. And it looks all these different ways. And I, I think that she was able to, to feel that. It's funny when I was telling the story, I was thinking about your grandmother too, you know, mm -hmm. I was like, oh yeah, you know, the evangelist would have been right up in there with the mothers and mm -hmm. would have been doing her thing yeah. and uh, shouting hallelujah and all of that <laughs> stuff. And, you know, this is not even to throw shade at any other observations during the time of, of death. You know, mm -hmm. we, we know that culturally that can look very different depending upon who you are. Mm -hmm. But I think allowing ourselves to show up for people in these times, even if it means stepping outside of your comfort zone, in addition to what the living will feel during their time of bereavement, mm -hmm. there's something actually in it for you to be there. Yes. Yeah. All of that. All of that. <laughs> All of that. Just don't talk more than you're supposed to be talking. <laughs> if my daddy is there. And now, now that my daddy has, has, has ascended, he's everywhere. So look, no matter where you are, if you only got a certain amount of time to be talking, you better wrap it up. Right. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, in the spirit of timekeeping. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And I will send you the picture of my bomb finger coils that I hooked up for Isaiah Manning. So. Yes, I'm expecting it. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and The Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.